It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey, brands and retailers. It's a new year on the CPG guys, and welcome to January 2024. Last week's episode featured Vinnie Moshaker, the vice president from Walmart for health and wellness, in particular focused on New Year, New You. So hopefully all of you had a chance to listen into that one. So happy New Year to all of you and hope everyone had a well-rested holiday season. And now we're back at it mid-month January. I'm, of course, your coach, Sri. Please listen to my daughter's music at www.riaraj.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J.com. And follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter at Catsai as one of the brand new members of the new band by Hyben Geffen Records of Universal Music on YouTube or Instagram. Much more to come in the second half of the year as they debut. 
And of course, joining me today is my co-founder of the podcast, a loyalty and insights aficionado. And he's not podcasting. He serves as the Partnership Acceleration Lead at the newly rebranded Flywheel. Join me in welcoming my buddy, Peter Viesbaum. Peter, how you doing, man? Hey, Shri, I'm doing well. Hope the weather's a little better for you out in La La Land than it is out here in Connecticut. Uh, we got a big snowstorm coming in tonight, so not looking forward to it. We got a freeze storm coming because it's going to be below 50 degrees tonight. Oh, my God. I'm looking forward to getting out to Las Vegas for CES. It'll be a little bit better out there, but it's good to see you, man. At the time of this recording, CES should just be behind. This is the Saturday after CES, so... May your words have come true that it's actually warmer, but I looked up the forecast. I have nothing great to say. Lows are going to be 32, 33. But before we get to our guests, we want to ask you to help spread the word about this community we've created in the CPG guys. Beyond sharing our podcast with your friends, if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify as your listening platform, give us a rating as it helps feed the algorithm, makes us much more findable by CPG retail people just like you looking for education as well as entertainment. We're happy that we're part of an impressive collection of highly rated podcasts, including CPG Guys Fast Forward, hosted by Brian Gildenberg, CPG Scoop with Risa and Jennifer, and the FMCG Guys with Daniel, Efrain, and Christine. We're proud of our allyship with Next Stop, whose mission is to advance the cause of women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. Next Up has terrific educational and networking resources available to mentors. And of course, I, Shri, serve as a board member of Next Stop and lead the development committee. Links to our podcast collective on a landing page on Next Up site may be found in the digital liner notes of this podcast. And now, on to our special guest. Today, we're touching upon the topic of productivity, enabling growth, scaling human capital wisely, and sharpening your PL. Today, the guest, of course, is the CEO of IOPEX, Shiva Ramani. IOPEX is a new generation digital services provider offering AI engineering, our favorite word, Peter, and AI operations services. Of course, Shiva, this means when we get to you and we start talking, we're going to be having a lot of conversations about our favorite word, AI. They are solution innovators focused on extracting the best out of the investments you've already made and enable bite-sized agile transformation to continuously innovate and optimize cost to book as well as the cost to serve, which of course are two different things. Join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, Shiva Ramani. Shiva, welcome to the CPG guys. Thanks for joining us early in 2024. How are you, man? Hi, thank you very much for having me, uh, Sri and Peter. I am surviving. Actually, I'm feeling pretty good because my Niners are seated once, so I'm pretty excited about where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. But uh, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Huge fan of what you guys do, and I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Thank you. Good thing you didn't bring up the Giants. Notice, Peter, I've got a Virginia Tech Hokies jersey. <laughs> we won our bowl game. Oh, <laughs> Before we get to the questions I've prepared, would you give us a brief description of your role leading IOPEX? So, um, Shri, I've been always a founder. Uh, this is, uh, for a lack of a better word, this is my third rodeo. I came as an immigrant to the U.S., came to do my master's here, finished that. Those days, I did some good work in AI. This is, I'm dating myself in Windows 3.1 days. Um, obviously, there was no compute power. I built... Uh, company doing some AI work around uh, figuring out what's the last name, first name in a business card and creating a database out of it. Then I sold that business to Seiko Instruments. Then second, I started another business in the services space, predominantly doing outsourced networking support. So again, knowledge management, AI came in there as well. 
And now I'm having fun building IOPEX. I've always been an entrepreneur and love the journey of being an entrepreneur. How awesome. And hopefully we'll get into what those uh, other two rodeos were. But Peter made an annotation to me that all three of us are immigrants. <laughs> I, of course, am born Sri Lankan. Shiva just said he's an immigrant. Peter, how are you an immigrant? Tell us. Solve this mystery for our audience. I was born in Canada. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Not quite as great a distance as you two guys experience, but an immigrant nonetheless and very proud to be one. Absolutely. You know, I look at Canada and I say you cross state lines. I don't say border. We can, <laughs> we can debate that another day, Peter. But thank you for that overview, Shiva. In the digital liner notes of this episode, we'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, of course, IOPEX's LinkedIn page, and IOPEX's website as well for our listeners to access while we go on with our conversation. So here we go, and I'll open it up. And before I do that, I'll annotate that I'm thrilled that the 49ers are first seed is I do not want to see the Cowboys. I do not want to see the Eagles make it all the way. And if they do to the NFC Championship, the 49ers will be eagerly waiting to play them. So I hope for the best there for the 49ers. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. So let's um, jump to the obvious. What inspired you to start OPEX? What unmet need did you see and you build services for? And what is your vision with everything you build? We kind of said digital first company for the future. Shri, I think my personal, I guess, self-assumed superpower is uh, what I call tactical efficiency, right? All along, all the three rodeos that I talk about, I've always looked at what can be done a little bit more efficiently, be it uh, people used to type in business cards into computer database. This is uh, 30 years ago. And I said, hey, can I scan the card in? Can I find out what's the last name, first name? So I've always been a disciplined efficiency guy. And all the things that I do, I always look for ideas where people are doing in a particular fashion and how do I make it more efficient. And in the last, I want to say really six, seven years, right? Both compute power and data storage, the prices have dropped dramatically, right? So what we did at IOPEX, from the, just from the name perspective, IOPEX stands for Operations Expense Optimization. That's the game plan that we came up with. We said, listen, hey, every large enterprise, wherever there are humans involved, they kind of fall into the trap of repeat transactions every single time, right? So we looked at ourselves and said, listen, we'll go do an audit of what's a repeat transaction. Is it a repeat transaction because the process is broken? Is this a repeat transaction because the technology is not efficient? Or is it a repeat transaction because customer behavior is not being educated effectively? In any of these cases, I think repeat transactions are adding both friction to the customer experience, but more importantly, are a negative effect on operation efficiency. Therefore, your EBITDA, EPS, all of that has a direct impact on it. So our goal is to weed out oper repeat transactions in pretty much any large industry. And luckily, in most of the customers that we work with, some of them in the retail space, some of them in the telco space, there is plenty of uh, inefficiencies because of that. So we started our life saying we will do what's called a day in the life of, figure out the repeat transactions, do tactical automation. For a while, it was process automation using RPA. For other times, it was just writing some new platforms and now AI. So by and large, the vision for the business is let's keep efficient enterprise running. And the way to do that is 
basically marrying operational complexity with the tools and technology that's out there and being that unique player that understands operations, that understands technology, marrying them together with all the latest tools. So that's the mission that we've kind of built ourselves for. And we've been pretty lucky for the last, I want to say, five years that the market seems to resonate with what we're thinking. Um, we got really great brand name customers and the business is growing up on an average of about 40% CAGR for the last five years. So we're having a lot of fun building it, uh, Shri. So that's the kind of unique value proposition we bring to the market. The one question I had for you on that value proposition in the future is, are you declaring that AI will be a big backbone of how you will actually operate the company in the future, especially with the large volumes of data you process? Absolutely. Two things, um, I'll, I'll kind of play it back a little bit more as well, right? Uh, our fund, at least my personal fundamental thesis, the good news is we don't have investors at IOPEX, so we really do things what's right for the customer and we're not short-term or myopic about quarter-on-quarter -quarter revenue. Uh, two fundamental theses we believe is time is a perishable commodity and change happens consistently and always, right? These are the two things that happen in an enterprise. And what we see is that uh, five years ago, because the compute power was not as good as what it is today and data was not sufficiently accumulated, people did tactical band-aid fixes called RPA. Now people are saying, hey, compute is not a problem at all. I mean, GPUs are coming online. I think there is still a challenge on the GPU capability itself. But net-net, I think every enterprise is going to embrace AI in a very thoughtful way with sufficient guardrails. But I think cannibalizing people business is very important. What I mean by that is if you have 1,000 people doing a million transactions a month, realistically, if you take a really hard look at it, you probably will need less than 10% of the people if you use AI technology sufficiently. And we believe in that. I mean, in the last three years, my revenue has grown 30%, 35% year on year, but my employee count has been decreasing over the last three years, right? So I think we eat our own dog food. We show proof points from our existing business to our customers and saying, hey, listen, guys, if you want to be more efficient, these are the ways to do it. And be it revenue operations, be it uh, just cost to serve operations like customer experience, customer service, or finance operations where actually there's a lot of data that floats into the system and in fact can drive efficiency in thinking for the C-suite itself. So we kind of picked up these three operations as key capability and we're actually both doing it internally and using that as proof points to our customers to be more efficient about it. So I'm going to go for a moonshot here before I turn it over to Peter. I bet you weren't expecting question one to be this long. And that moonshot is the hottest word in the CPG industry. Still developing, underdeveloped is retail media. Retail media has created so much data, it's insane. The discipline isn't there to the extent required. Is IOPEX going to bring AI to retail media and just make life easier for CPG brands and retailers alike? Absolutely. And that's the exciting part for us. And that's the reason why we wanted to partner with you guys to learn more about how the industry is heading and find a way to kind of carry the industry along. That's the right word, right? So I'll, I'll give you a simple use case. Actually, uh, there's an interesting friend of mine who is a CTO at Microsoft. We've been talking and the buzz about AI has become almost a shrill that people feel a FOMO about it. If you don't do anything in AI, you're probably missing out. But actually, that's not the case. If 
the use case doesn't exist in the AI, don't try to retrofit it and push harder. But for the CPG guys, uh, primarily on the retail media side, you're absolutely spot on with so much data in there. And with the impending changes with all the cookies and all the good stuff, that data is a gold mine for the people who own the data, not just to monetize it, but for their customers to be very relevant about what they do. In fact, in the last uh, 20 years, monetizing uh, using ads has become such a bad word because you get crazy ads because the sufficient personalization didn't exist. But I'm actually excited that this, if done right, will be a value additive function for the consumer, leave alone monetizing function, right? You will actually see what you need to see. You will actually double click on what more you want to see, but it will all be so focused that there will be right type of information floating back in. So I'll, I'll give you a good use case that we've developed and I'm pretty excited about it, right? So creatives, if you go back to all these large companies that have built good pranks primarily, um, lots of ad metrics around how ad performed, what we're doing now is we're going back collecting that data, putting that inside our, uh, we have a platform called Elevate. What it does is it breaks down the performance of those ads with relationship to the creatives themselves. Oh, there was a sunny picture. The ad was shown in California and there was a dog in it. So the attribution is this. So that's why the take is like this. And we take that back into a new creative brief that says, hey, listen, you're going to launch a new product. You're going to launch it in California. And if you had a creative that looks like this, the ability to speak to your customer is a lot better instead of somebody in the back room figuring out and going through a bigger process. So you really take some of these data that's out there, deconstruct it to what the personal attribution for the consumer was, go back and recreate ones that make more sense. So I think we're really living in exciting and efficient times that, I mean, I keep telling my daughter that I wish I was 10, 15 years younger. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd probably see more exciting things. So uh, age is not on my side. So time is still a personal perishable commodity for me. Shiva, welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. Uh, I feel you about uh, age not being on my side. As I like to tell people, I'm playing the back nine of life right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you appreciate that. Hey, listen, thank you for the case study application, some thoughts around us. Obviously, computing power is something that every company can have access to if they want it. Really, how does IAPEX differentiate itself from a competitive set in the industry? And what do you think are some of the key values or principles that are guiding your business operations and the relationships you're establishing with customers that are helping you establish yourself as a superior performer in this space? So um, it's a really short answer, uh, Peter. If, uh, the, the short answer to everything that I think about both in life and unfortunately or fortunately, the companies tend to take the persona of the founders as well. And as a company, we are a very outcome-driven company, right? What, that, what does that mean? I think if we are adding value to ourselves, we're having fun building it, we're creating value for ourselves. The same goes to our customers. When we go into a customer, we are very outcome-driven. We're not going in and saying, hey, Compensate us for effort. Compensate us for what you can communicate to your stakeholders. None of that matters to us. Is there money at the end of the door for you guys? Is there either a savings by way of an EPS bounce because we've done something super efficiently that you can redeploy these savings into more meaningful, exciting stuff? Or we're 
thrown so much in your revenue side of the equation by being so efficient that you're investing a growth capital. So in a lot of ways, Peter, every single partner, customer of mine, by associating with us, they end up kind of sniffing growth as the mantra for their life. So what we bring to them is not competency just around, hey, I can analyze your data, I can give you stuff. That's just table stakes. But just hanging out with IOPEX, our customers and, and businesses, people to people, there may be a senior director on the other side, there may be a VP on the other side, they themselves become growth mindset people even more. So we actually bring additional components in terms of growth culture as a rub-on effect for our customers. So Every customer of ours, we've never lost a customer. Uh, average customer life with us is five, six years, and it keeps growing. And the reality is because we have a growth mindset. We have tools to drive the growth mindsets. We have the price points that are efficient to drive the growth mindsets. In essence, our customers and partners choose us because, hey, here is this young company. There are no holy cows for this company. They keep going aggressively, pushing for what's the right way to do it? What's the efficient way to do it? Does this help us grow the business? So I think. Uh, that's the reason why customers enjoy hanging out with us and building businesses with us, I think, uh, Peter. You know, it's a big claim to be able to say you've never lost a customer. So we're going to dig into that yes. a little bit more. My hypothesis is the reason you're not losing customers is, A, of course, you're delivering value, promised value. But more importantly, you're also staying abreast of changes in industries that you're supporting, verticals you're supporting. When you do that, you're ready for the next thing and to run the marathon versus just an individual sprint with your clients or your customers, right? So I'm curious, how do you adapt to the changing landscape, especially if you look at the CPG industry that you're touching now, technologies change a bunch. While e-commerce existed 10 years ago, even in the CPG industry, in the last three years, click and pick has become the way, home deliveries become the way, intermediaries like Instacart, which existed 10 years ago, becomes just a way of life at this point. Simple click and you get anything delivered to the house. Loyalty is at an all-time high with businesses like Walmart Plus now offering you that loyalty mechanism. And uh, so how do you actually stay abreast and how do you bring it back to your clients? So um, that's a little bit more of a personal journey. That's why I keep repeating that uh, companies take on the persona of the founders themselves, right? So, and Naga and I have been together for long enough and, and you guys know Naga as well. So the bulk of the senior management team sits right here in the Bay Area in, in Silicon Valley, right? Why is that important, right? Realistically, apart from this IOPEX being a sufficiently, significantly profitable company, we have a portfolio investment of about 75 companies that are doing, this is seed, series A, we incubate a bunch of companies the minute we see some activity in a particular direction. For example, we see lots of changes in the partnership world, how people get partners to sell their software or sell their hardware. So we're building some AI solutions. We found a team, we have invested in them. So we pick industries that are getting disrupted and we actively do seed capital or CDC capital, whatever that. So by, by that kind of an ecosystem, we have about 75 companies in our portfolio that we are actively connected to. The minute we start seeing traction in these companies, what that tells us is, listen, there is a technology shift happening. And this technology shift, and, and it, it is self-serving, Sri. I don't want to come out and tell you that we are altruistic. So we take these 75 companies in our portfolio and say, hey, this is a new company building new technology. We want to show you this as 
as a possible POC. So now the customers are also looking at, oh, I never thought this was possible. Let's try and see if this will work, right? So it is a kind of virtuous cycle that we build. We invest in newer technologies. We partner with companies in new, bringing newer technologies. We take it back to our existing customers. And during this process, the business constructors, if we are the, um, for a lack of a better word, collateral damage because of the change, which means we are saying that we are doing A, B, and C, and we're generating so much revenue for ourselves, but this new technology is going to change the way and our revenue is going to shrink because of that. We have no fear about it. We think that's the right thing for the company. That's the right thing for the customers. We have to redeploy elsewhere. And this is, again, advantage of being a privately held company with no outside investors. Don't have to worry about what's the next quarter going to look like. So I think that virtuous cycle of partnering with the younger companies, both here in the Valley and we're bringing the same ecosystem in, in Brooklyn, New York area as well. So we think I think that virtuous cycle is super efficient for us. Uh, and, and just anecdotally for this one, I want to say, the largest workflow creating software in the world is using us to optimize their internal workflow. So that's the level of efficiency we have started beginning to deliver to our customers, uh, Shri. Wow, what a great articulation of the value proposition of investing in a bunch of technologies and companies that can ultimately be disruptive are they all going to be no but are you going to get a couple of gems out of that i mean it's the essence of a venture capital firm and if you can use that either to power further your company or offer that up to your clients and build a business that way then at the end of the day your customer is served as you mentioned the outcome is their growth and their that's your core kpis what a great idea so shiva would love to hear from you if you have a particularly poignant success story or a major milestone that you've achieved of late that can really help our audience understand where you've been able to take IOPEX. So um, I think the best success story for us was I was beginning to allude to as well is especially around driving uh, the largest workflow company in the world to adopt a guardrail-based AI solution that we brought to the table. They used to take about eight months with about 60 people doing their go-to-market motions to launch a product. We've automated and enabled them to go and do that, that cycle in a matter of four weeks with less than four people and this AI-based platform we built for them, right? They've gone back and said, Shiva, this is so great that we want to productize it and you will see them launch this as a product under their banner, of course, in the next probably eight to 12 weeks. But the truth of the matter is that I think every customer that we've partnered with, Peter, we've been able to create IP for them in what they build that they can start monetizing on it, right? There's another use case where a customer of ours, a relationship ours, at that point, it was not a customer. They were just thinking about building out a new ad-based revenue platform. They had about a million users on the platform. And we went back, sat down with the board and said, listen, hey, you guys should do this and we will help you build the ad stack for it. We'll help you build the creative structure for it. They had no clue about what the ad business looked like. They're probably going to be doing about 3 to 5% of their, I mean, they're a listed company as well, 3 to 5% of their revenue in that space, right? So uh, the, the reality of it is, since we are plumbers and we like, um, I keep telling everybody, both internal and external, I want to be a company that is 
substance over style, right? So all the success that we end up delivering end up being marketed by our customers as their success, but ultimately the plumbing is all ours, right? And, and I'm fine with that. Uh, ultimately, the reality of it is that I think we have enough economics to be happy about it. But the reality is that we're able to actually make meaningful. And, and Peter, to give you an example, um, there are about 40 customers that we have today. We have helping in different capacities in their bite-sized digital transformation, agile. And out of that 40, about 20 of them are Fortune 100. That's the claim to fame that we bring to the market. Fabulous. But uh, before we go on further, you talked about digital transformation, the spectrum of digital transformation. Could you give some basic color commentary, Shiva? On the, I'm not looking for brand names or which company you're touching, but I'm looking for kind of a little bit of a color commentary on the type of thing you're touching. So um, there are three big buckets that we do really good work on, Sri. One bucket of work I call revenue operations, right? So what is revenue operations, um, for example? And I'll, I'll land it back into the CPG, retail, ad ops, media world, right? So somebody is launching this business for driving ad business. We are the guys who come out and say, listen, the time that you go out and your sales team convinces a brand to get on your publishing platform to the time you actually recognize the revenue and drive traffic into it, there is motions which have about 150 to 200 different workflows and there are different teams that work together, right? So if you did let business continue as is without this digital transformation in it, um, the ability to recognize that revenue from the time you get a customer commit to the time you actually traffic it is probably anywhere between six to eight weeks. But the way we've transformed their business, the workflow with the tools that we put in there and the people capability as well, they're able to recognize revenue in less than 72 hours the minute somebody says, hey, I'm ready for it. Do you know what I mean? So now this is a direct for a chief revenue officer. I am pulling revenue up ahead. So which means that the reality of being able to sell more increases dramatically. And we've taken the complexity out of the entire revenue recognition process for him. Uh, he's still doing the heavy lift. The platform is still the greatest platform. See, I am not changing the way they sell, but I'm changing the way they end up from selling to fulfilling uh, through automation and platform generation as well. So that's one example in the revenue operation space. So in the finance operation space, um, the biggest challenge somebody like a chief accounting officer has is the last five days of a quarter are nightmare for him to close books, right? And between the teams that they have to analyze different geos uh, sales to the time that they go back and say, this is what we'll report to the street as our revenue, the motions that go through closing books, there are at least about 500 processes that happen parallelly. And the correctness of the process is even more important than the speed at which it gets done, right? So there are an army of people doing the closing of books, recognizing revenue and all the good stuff that go with it. So we have built automation that will do all of these repeat work so that what takes five days of superhuman effort for all these guys to just a day for these guys to collect all the data and the second day the closing book is ready. They still go through another day to make sure they get what they get is right and all the good stuff. But I think this is not sleepless nights for the chief accounting officer. He knows what he's getting. There is a predictable outcome around it and he does not have an army of people doing it, right? And if I extend that in the IT world, there is 
Uh, the SOX compliance is a big deal. And there are armies of people doing SOX compliance. We've gone out and basically taken out the people out of the compliance world completely. And uh, from the minute you say, I want a compliance report, to the time you get a compliance report, it's less than two hours uh, before this is for large telco. So I think I'm giving you a flavor of wherever there is lots of transactional work and labor involved in organizing data, in analyzing data, in flagging exceptions, in actually letting the right ones go through the full flow of the process, we've automated all of that significantly. So if you had asked me, Shiva, how many man hours of effort have you saved for your customers? It is on an average about a million hours a quarter for our customers. If I put all our customers collectively together, over a million hours of worth of effort is taken off because of all the digital uh, interventions that we've run, done for the customers. That is a big number. Yes. Let me remind our audience that we're speaking with Shiva Ramani, the CEO of IOPEX. All right, Shiva. So. CPG industry. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing the CPG industry and how are you positioned to address them? Well, let me share what the CPG guys are seeing. Obviously, the last three years over COVID saw some unprecedented growth for the CPG industry because consumer consumption was at an all-time high. A lot of it was arguably driven by innovation as the Wall Street analysts would say. And now the biggest challenge facing the CPG industry is consumption has slowed down. So I'd love to hear what you are seeing and how you're actually getting ready for them. I think two things that we see from our relationships with different customers that we have, right? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. The total global uh, scenario of multiple wars around the world combined with the fact that um, inflation has started slowing down, the jury is still out. So I think um, there are heady winds against facing all of us, right? And, and, and the monetary policy, in all fairness, has not impacted any of the outcomes. So that's the bigger worry for a lot of the policymakers saying that, listen, we keep increasing interest rates, but um, employment is still almost near full, right? So the way um, we have internally parsed this is that I think global consumption is definitely going to drop, but the quality of consumption is going to change. What does that mean, right? Um, what it means is essentially people are going to start thinking about doing things, which is basically doing more for less. That's really what they want to do. They want to get everything at 60% of the price that they've already spent on. And, and so beyond the traditional aspects of cost management, I think there is an opportunity for the retail guys to go out and build more loyal customers. This is a time where I think there are the customer loyalty, brand loyalty, more importantly, monetizing those loyal relationships. Loyalty for the sake of loyalty is meaningless if you can't monetize it at all, right? So we're seeing a lot of our customers come back to us and say, hey, Shiva, I think we have, uh, just in the case of this other company where I talked about a uh, million subscribers that they have on their platform doing retail stuff, uh, we've gone back to them and saying, listen, Let's start putting numbers around what is the value a customer. It's not lifetime value. I'm talking about transactional value a particular subscriber, a customer uh, uh, is good for you. And how do you do value additive stuff? And Sri, I am a big believer in the virtual reality, AR, VR driven retail happening in almost near future. I'm not talking this is three year, five year crystal ball. 
I think we will see proof points in the next 12 months. Maybe next CES will have a lot more of it just because uh, Apple's product will come out and, and they would get some of the things much more right than others, right? So our thesis for the retail guys is how do you foster a lifelong partnership? Just, I mean, I, I, I rescue dogs. I have 16 dogs at home. Uh, I'm a loyal, chewy customer, right? But Chewy just keeps sending me dog food. They don't engage with me for anything else. I mean, they have a transactional view of me as a customer. And I think companies like us, what IOPEX is thinking about is 360 degree harmonization view of a consumer. So what else can you do so that the customer spend, even though it's limited, it doesn't go to five different places. You are the channel for the other four places that they can spend their money on, right? So I think that's where any technology, we're bringing some interesting technology capability where say you are somebody like a Walmart, uh, Walgreens or a CBS, don't just have a medical view of the customer. Think beyond that. What else can you do value add? What that means is you got to be able to look into your data come up with ideas, come up with offers. More importantly, let the customer know that you can come to them at least twice a week, thrice a week, not once a month when you need it only, right? So I think each retail company will have a different value proposition. And that, what is the right value proposition is buried inside their data. And I think ability to drive that kind of analysis is going to be uh, very critical. The other equation to that is that there is so much data that separating data from noise is a very, very scientific uh, process, not just, okay, let me ask it a question using chat GPT. Does it give me the answer? It just can't be that, right? So I think there is going to be merchants like us that will accelerate the process of looking at the consumer more than the transactional value, but as a much more um, trusted relationship and in that trusted relationship, what else can we drive through that channel? I think that's the big challenge I see, at least some of our customers are talking about. And I think where we are focusing our energy, when we sit down and talk with these guys, we're telling them, listen, hey, listen, what can I do for you, which gets you more cart value? Beyond cart value, how many times can I bring them? I mean, the, the rest of the industry has DAUs, active users as a big deal. How do you get them to think about DAUs very differently rather than just transactionally? I don't know if that answers your question, Sri. Oh, perfectly answers my question. But three observations here. Number one, if I heard you correctly, you said you had 16 dogs. So God bless you for being a parent to 16 of them, as I have three cats myself. And if you're lucky, we'll see one of the triple Zs here walk by any second. Second one is your fascinating example you gave of loyalty. I scratch my head. Why aren't 20 different brands asking you for help in this space? And here's what I reckon it to. It is not a technology limitation. Providers like you who have figured out how to apply AI to get some of those answers, maybe even dynamically if needed. And in many instances, at the retail point of purchase or when offering you something, Chewy is the example you gave, should be working with dynamically with data to make it context relevant for you, not just you buy dog food and that's the only thing on planet Earth I'm always going to keep offering to you. And the reason it's that way is because an entire generation of marketers, my generation of marketers who are sitting in pretty senior seats today across the board in branding, are curated out of learnings through MBA school, MBA classes, Marketing 5104, by reading Philip Kotler's book on the four Ps, which was entirely created on the basis of what's in store 35 years ago. 
and and the external curiosity to want to learn and innovate is limited at best. And I, I really think that's the reason that needs to be solved. And Sri, if I double click on that with you, I'm going to ask you a question in turn, right? Do you think this myopic view of performance marketing versus brand marketing as two separate segments, has it corrupted the way of thinking about the customer at all? 100% yes. I mean, that, that one's a no-brainer, except I think there's a revolution. Retail media has come and tossed all of those notions upside down. Brand marketers have no choice now but to think of the entire media spectrum as one giant mix with the death of linear advertising steadily and slowly advancing as fast as possible. So whether people are externally curious or not, retail media is going to force them to become that way. There's absolutely no choice. And um, my third observation before I turn it over to Peter here for the next one is um, listening to you talk about inflation right up top of the answer of this question. For those of you listening, Scroll back and listen. We did a brief moment here on inflation and the jury on whether inflation has slowed down faster, yet to be passed. But what a great time for CPG brands, AI-backed pricing tool that can process not just the last two years, but maybe the last 10 years, be able to understand what inflation has caused to make pricing recommendations for brands based on certain conditions and factors and the digitization of media today. And maybe IOPEX, maybe you got a surprise over there. What do you think, Peter? Yeah, I'm going to add to what you both said and talk about this concept of data science and using transactional volume associated with a household to build signals. You'll learn very quickly, and you made reference to like a CVS or Walgreens. I know from my time at CVS, if you thought of it only as a purveyor of OTC health medication or shampoo, you forget to understand that there's a large segment of their population, uh, their shoppers that are in urban areas that use their stores as a de facto convenience store. And uh, particularly you when you end up looking at who those customers are, they're much younger and they're not treating chronic pain. And so they're not in the OTC section. They're in the food and beverage section. And the way you're going to know that is by actually crunching all the data, building relevant segments of consumers that shop in a similar way. And that allows you to treat them and get you maybe not one-to-one, but get a lot closer of one-to-many and then one-to-few and uh, with the aspiration of one-to-one, that's the real goal. So let's talk a little bit, uh, as Sri referenced about retail media, Shiva. Um, Would love to know your take on this phenomenon around retail media. Why it sees an enormous amount of revenue shifting and why brands, you know, there's still a lot of hesitancy. Brands will talk about it. CBGs will talk about it, but it seems to be more of a trade engagement so far. It hasn't quite moved into the lexicon or even frankly, the full scale budget of marketing. Um, What do you kind of have cooking in this space to help CBGs and uh, think about investing in it and retailers being able to purvey their solutions in a meaningful way to bring efficiency to the media industry that's, you know, still to some degree rooted in the traditional linear television and print media that's waning in its effectiveness. Two things, Peter. Uh, first of all, with your time in CVS, please ask them not to print so many coupons when you buy something. If you can know anybody okay. that. I've got some news for you, Shiva. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. You are, congratulations to you both. If you shop at CVS, clearly you've been there recently, Shiva. 
you are actually meeting Mr. Peter V. S. Baum, the creator of the six foot register receipt. <laughs> and let me tell you how much incremental revenue that silly little tool actually produced by delivering relevant offers that the six coupons coming out on the receipt for you are fundamentally different than the six I receive. And it actually proved to be very effective. Now, of course, uh, to this day, I'm still the, well, not by name, but certainly by reputation, the scourge of late night uh, comedians that are doing things like creating fashion outfits using long CVS register receipts. But <laughs> not to be morbid out here, but I promised Peter that on his epitaph, I will make sure to leave 50 different six foot long registers. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said the only way it's going to work, Sri, is if my tombstone is six feet tall, because otherwise the register receipt isn't going to fit. So so I think I'm going to kind of jump off from the same conversation. I think I agree with the idea that just drives great incremental revenue. But the reality of it is that's got to become completely digital, right? The truth of the matter is that CVS has to find a way to get customers to get to their app to do this more than think about this as, oh, I got a paper receipt, I'm going to deal with it, right? And, and I'm, I'm sure they're doing it, but I don't think that's front and center of their thinking. And that's what is plaguing the industry itself. So what do I mean by that? I think um, the good news about where they are is uh, both Amazon and Walmart has shown all the retailers that you got to be app first and then a physical location. So the good news is that's the reason why somebody like a Chewy even exists today and other pet stores are still mom and pop shops, right? So I think um, two things are challenging that business from our perspective and maybe to customers. I think there is still hesitancy to imagine themselves as media companies. And I think that's rooted in the fact that uh, it goes back to my original statement. I do believe most of these companies Imagine they are a substance over style company. Media companies are style over substance companies sometimes. And whereas these retail uh, guys imagine themselves as substance over style, right? So there is a, basically an organizational conundrum about do we go pitch this? Do we treat? And they're also wanting to not make the consumer look like the product itself. I mean, the media companies make the consumer the product, whereas the CPG guys make the product the product, the consumer the consumer, right? So I think that comes from the fact that the media stack, the media stack is so obfuscated, that's the right word, right? That some of the retail guys are kind of saying, hey, let me take baby steps at it. That's why it's not becoming part of their main budgets yet. There is this very nice uh, acquisition they end up doing. That acquisition used to be a pure app player and they, they're bringing that knowledge. So th it is all coming kind of through acquisitions or extensions of some relationships. It's not coming as native core. They're not going out um, unlike uh, one of the largest, uh, somebody like an Uber, they went out and said, we're going to go to the media media business. We're going to get the best execs in the business to come build that business for us, right? So I, I think that they're kind of trying to figure out, do they put the consumer as the product or not? Once they make that decision, then it becomes super clear to them what they have to do. And I suspect given the thesis with compressing margins in that space, and um, this War Gardens thesis becoming much more real uh, and everybody wants primary relationship with their consumer, I think the next 24 months people are going to invest. This is going to become their primary bread and butter. At least that's what we are hearing. 
But if I flip it to the operational complexity of technology to make this work, a lot of them are worried about the operational complexity in making this coexist with their steady state bread and butter technology stack that they have. So I think um, the more successful ones will migrate faster. Um, I give a lot of credit for people like Target and all imagining that direction much faster, but the other ones are going to be slower. So I think it's it's a lot more, uh, to, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but the shortest answer to the question is, I think it's very cultural. You decide whether you want the consumer to be the product or not. Once you make that decision, everything falls together. I think there's still a lot of work to your point that needs to be done, particularly as we start to think about the in-store element of retail media, right? Obviously, when you're talking about digital experience on a mobile app or even off-site, I think we're more wired to be able to transform that in a meaningful way. You know, retail in-store experiences where 90% of sales still occur, right, are not highly personalized like they are in a mobile app. And they require equipment and they require connectivity. And that's a harder slog. You have to deploy physical equipment because at the end of the day, if the mobile app's still going to be the mechanism for engagement, it has to get signals. It needs to know where you are in the store. It has to in real time reference who you are, what you buy, and therefore give you maybe not out of the gate a personalized experience, but a meaningful experience moving towards personalization. That's not going to happen overnight. But that's the promise because that's still where the lion's share of the volume is. And that's where you're going to move the needle the most. So I think there's a lot to do there. Shri? Yeah. So I've got one last question, Peter, lingering in my head that I thought I'd ask Shiva. Short and sweet, though. How do you all actually prioritize and ensure quality and customer satisfaction in its services? You referred to a bit of this right up front in the opening, but I'd love to hear it. Um, We've kept it very simple. Uh, We're trying very hard in our life, even though my last answer was long-winded. We try to be very simple about what we think about in life. I think all our contractual relationships with our customers are outcome-based, right? And a component of the outcome is not just successful transactional outcome, but successful transactional outcome with the right metrics around customer experience, right? So the minute um, you mandate that as your operating way to make money, uh, then everything else follows from that. The minute you told your HR team that, listen, we don't get paid X if we don't have the people doing A, B, and C like this. You, You go tell your engineering team that, listen, if the AI does not deliver 93% accuracy on this A, B, and C, we're not going to get paid. The minute you start putting everything back into the business construct that we have with our customers, everything flows from that. So I think that's what uh, I believe has been operationally set up. But uh, from a structural perspective, I think um, we are a passion-driven company. I keep telling everybody, uh, whoever I interview new and who's going to join the company is, you self-select to be part of IOPEX. The fact that we are talking uh, during the interview process means that you have the competency. I'm, I'm not, I mean, there's a, a set of people that look for competency, but beyond the competency, you self-select saying that I want to be part of this company that is by default thinking disruption, right? And disruption is not just in the customer space. Disruption is in your space as well, which is basically your your job could be disrupted out. Be comfortable with that feeling, right? So I think once you go through that basics of setting up business constructs, uh, making people self-select to be part of your network and wanting to do this, 
I think there is no operational process to make this all work. But I think those are the two key things that um, we feel pretty good about. And and the more important thing, uh, the other piece that I wanted to tell you from the first time is not only did we not lose customers, most of our customers who moved from one company to another company immediately became our customers too. So that's our way to grow as well without having a large sales force going out and hunting new customers. Bottom line, disruption is the name of the game. And when you stay abreast on disruption and you're comfortable with it, including personal life disruption, you give a fantastic example. When you hire somebody, you have to be comfortable saying you're part of the disruption ecosystem and that someday your own role might be disrupted. Yes. And you got to be comfortable with that. That's a, that's a big one. So let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content simply by going to cpgguys.com where um, if you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute, just like IOPEX has today to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. You can also do that by going to the top right-hand side of our website on the web browser. Maybe you can join us on the podcast like Shiva did today. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com because that's what helped create the show. That's what helped ensure we're having the right dialogues, such as artificial intelligence being one of those examples or retail media, it does make a difference. And you can find that at the navigation bar at the top of the web browser. Thank you for the 27,000 plus followers on LinkedIn. We wouldn't exist without you. And um, you have basically shaped the show. We thank you for all the direct messages, the countless direct messages we receive every single week on what programming to put on this show. And for your likes, clicks, comments, and the love you've given us over the last three years building this podcast. At the time Peter and I built this podcast, we had no idea it would become this big. Shiva, I can't thank you enough for making time, especially on a Saturday afternoon to join us. So thank you. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you, guys. Peter and Sri, thank you. Peter, what did we learn today? Well, we learned a lot. I I think that IOPEX's vision is to keep efficient enterprise operations running using the latest capabilities that uh, superior computing power now enable that AI is going to be a major enabler of efficiency. And uh, because IOPEX doesn't have any investors, they don't make short-term decisions. They're focused on the outcomes for their customers, and that will ultimately drive success. Like They don't have to think about hitting a number at the end of the quarter for themselves when they can focus on delivering valuable outcomes for their customers. AI is going to be a major driver. There's a lot of thoughtful embracing of this going on in the industry. And what really caught my attention is when scaled, uh, it will probably mean that we'll only require about 10% of the human capital to run a business that would have been necessary in the past. The industry that you and I focus on, luxury retail media, is going to benefit greatly from AI. Data is going to be critical in a cookie-less world to drive relevance of information to consumers. And AIs can ultimately deliver value-added outcomes for the consumers themselves, not just for the customers that IOPEX is servicing. You know, the fact that IOPEX focuses on customer outcomes as their key KPIs, so they're very growth-focused, is why they, as uh, Shiva articulated, they haven't lost any customers or customers stay five to six years so far. And frankly, when they move from one company to another, first people they call when they get there, it's IOPEX. So uh, that's the really thing. The, the thing that really caught my attention is by investing as an incubator in these 75 companies where they've done some seed funding, 
that's giving them a whole lot of valuable understanding of different niches of the market, how they can apply this technologies to those. And when something pops, they're ready with a solution and they can bring that to their customers and build even longer term loyalty with those. So there's a lot. I love their three areas of focus, revenue ops, acceleration, the great example of taking revenue generation from six weeks to 72 hours, finance operations and IT ops. And there's just so much more, but I'll also remember that Shiva's got 16 dogs <laughs> and uh, Chewy is very grateful to have him as a customer. But I think <laughs> I think the interesting, the, the point he made about, you know, they got to figure out a way to make a, a relevant and thoughtful engagement so they can build the business with the customers they have because there's so much expansion beyond just the dog food he's buying. Uh, but can you do that in an efficient way that doesn't cause friction but drives value to the consumer and ultimately delivers growth to the customer? Just so much to unpack here, Shri. I'm going to be thinking about this episode for a couple of days. Peter, Shiva, thank you for joining me on this episode. A reminder to our audience that in a couple of weeks, we will follow this one up with a lively LinkedIn Live conversation with Naga Chakravarti, the Chief Digital Officer of IOPEX, where we'll get much more into the CPG industry and our favorite topic, retail media backed by AI and see what they've got cooking. Maybe we have something to declare then. So looking forward to that. Do listen in, tune in in a couple of weeks. That's a wrap for this episode. See you soon in another one of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.